again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 138. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend about our little pod here, and also check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. You have oodles of videos and tons of podcasts to peruse through at your discretion. So check it out. Great to be with you. This week, interesting article coming out about the Copa America. Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic writing how it is coming to the United States in 2024. And this opens the door for a South American World Cup bid in 2030. Felipe will join us in the business end and we will discuss how this is going to work out, what it means for the United States to host 2024, and could we get closer to a confederation of the Americas, including South America and North America and all that resides in between. Could happen because, as I will point out, they kind of need each other. They kind of need each other. One party has what the other needs. So we will have Felipe there. In the business end, the Champions League is back. We will focus in on some of the key stories to keep an eye on particular the one that's developing in Paris. We shall see if Premier League teams continue to run the day. Can Real Madrid defend their crown after they just won the FIFA Club World Cup? And will there be more surprises in what looks like it could be a surprising tournament that's coming up in just a little bit? But right now, it's the Soccer OG, and we are upwards and onwards, eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking. As is the case every week, a lot happening. I mean, we're not even going to get into this reconfigured Super League. There's an interesting story about an expanded Super League that will include more teams. I don't know if it's going to get off the ground, but as I've pointed out to you many times in the past here, Super League's not going to go away. Uh, It's essential for the survival of many of these clubs. What has developed is we have a Super League brewing in England, where the money we saw what Chelsea spent... We're going to talk about (laughs) the Glazers in Manchester United. It looks like we're coming to the end of their regime. Since 2005, they have owned the club. Now this big Qatari bid, and they want to buy it in its entirety. All of it. They don't want to be, they don't want to share it. They got the money, and they're going to splurge. And we know there's a Qatari connection to Paris Saint-Germain, but what would it do for Manchester United? Obviously, The biggest name in the sport could just get a lot bigger. So we will be tracking that story as well because more money is just flooding in to the English game. Truly, at every level, whether it's the National League with Wrexham, whether it's interest coming in and buying clubs in the EFL Championship, more American investors uh, within the championship. And then you have the money of American investors in addition to the Middle East money at you have Arsenal, you have Manchester United for now, you have Todd Bowley at Chelsea, you have Bournemouth. It continues to go on and on. So uh, we're we're heading to a seismic change in the way we consume this sport. I think it's going to be really cool, and we're going to see some super teams, uh, players aligning with each other, making some incredible wages. I think we're going to see a pecking order 
shift a bit in the best clubs in the world. And I think teams like leagues like Major League Soccer can make massive inroads. But we do know England's going to be on top. There's no sign of that changing. And they should just be getting stronger. I do believe next year, because we've had surprising teams like Fulham and Brighton, that next year we'll have the 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 old guard kind of reassert themselves. Liverpool, just watch them win the Merseyside Derby. They'll make some moves in the midfield and in the defense, and they'll get a lot better. Chelsea's going to get a lot better. We'll have the, the elites once again. This could be a crazy season. That's why if you're Arsenal, you maybe win it this year because you may not get that chance with Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, and Liverpool all getting a lot stronger. And by the way, the one new development, without question, and because of the Saudi money that they're going to be able to play with, Newcastle will remain in that elite class. So the Premier League is setting the tone. Uh, the other European clubs, the big clubs, they want to get in the money. Everyone wants to get aligned. We'll talk about the Copa America and what it means. South America needs money to push their World Cup bid. Saudi Arabia in a Mediterranean bids out there as well. Money, look, we can be naive and dig our head in the sands and we can sit here and say, well, what about our history? And what about the games? Money is moving heaven and earth in this sport. And I don't think FIFA is going to turn away from it. The Premier League, this so-and-so Super League, no one's going to run away from it because everyone wants a piece of the pie. One story that's not yet confirmed is although it looks like Jesse Marsh is going to land at Southampton, which is unbelievable. He had an interview. It went well. Jesse rescued Leeds last season. Can he do the same for the Saints, who are in dire straits? They are in butt-naked last place in the Premier League, but just four points away from safety. Could they catch Leeds? Who do we want to stay up if we're with our American interests here, right? We want Leeds to stay up because we have the three American players. But now we want Southampton to stay up because we want Jesse Marsh. You know, he could have just... I I truly didn't think there'd be a job for him in the Premier League or even the EFL Championship. I thought, you know, there was these talks about maybe the timing was perfect and he would come to be the national team manager. He made it pretty clear he wants to be in the club game. And I don't blame him. I mean, he's progressed so much there. Why would you want to turn away from it now? But it doesn't mean you're going to get a job like Southampton. Still in the Premier League. They will, he'll have, what, 16 games to save them. Doesn't have a, a market. Or uh, they did bring in some players, certainly, in that last transfer window. Uh, Southampton have all intentions, in, intentions of staying in the Premier League. But they need to put some results. Because it's clearing up a bit. West Ham, I think, is going to get the points. They'll get out of the picture. Wolves got hot. Nottingham Forest got hot. Leicester got hot. They're away from there. So really, it's going to be Leeds, Everton, Bournemouth, Southampton. And three of those are going to go down. I'd have to say Everton's going to definitely go down. So we shall see. But uh, it's just intriguing. Again, intriguing, certainly from American perspective at the top, at the bottom, (laughs) <laughs> whether it's owners, coaches, or players, uh, everyone's being served. We talked about Jesse Marsh going to the national team in the United States. Mexico got their guy, Diego Coca, who was with Tigres, 
left and now he's going to take over Mexico. So Mexico got their guy. Was he the best candidate? I don't know. He's done very well. He won those titles with Atlas. Uh, doesn't really play that exciting brand of soccer, but maybe Mexico has to become much more practical. we got to see where the talent's going to come from. I know it's there in Mexico. Sometimes we can't see it, but maybe Diego Coca's the guy to do it. And, man, we, like, as I said, I mean, we can pull against Mexico most of the time, but a healthy Mexico is good for the United States. He is an international. He coached in Mexico, but he's an Argentine. Argentines are great managers. And... uh that should be an interesting story to tell, to to follow as we see where he takes this team moving forward in uh, in March with Nations League, and then we'll we'll see what's there. And they'll be part of the Copa America. They have to qualify still. They'll be part of the Copa America. And you know, I'm going to ask Felipe if he thinks Mexico could host a Copa America in the not too distant future. So there is a lot at play. I didn't I didn't want to leave you without applauding. What was a rarity still, and that is Czech Republic international Jakob Jankto announced that he is gay and he wants to live without fears. Uh, this happens so infrequently. We want it to not be a big deal. But, it, 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 you know, in 2023, I thought we would have had maybe a, a run of players saying they're gay because they're seeing other guys coming out or, or, or girls coming out. And they don't want to live in fear. They want to live their life. But clearly, we, we know there's a lot of gay players. You know, the statistics say somewhere maybe 7, 8, 9, 10%. One out of every 10, one out of every 11, maybe less, um, are living their life in secrecy uh, for whatever reason. I don't blame them because there are a lot of jerks out there that would make a big deal and make their lives miserable. So I just, I just wish it was different. But Yantko has come out and hopefully he inspires others to come out. Uh, he said, like everybody else, I have my strengths, I have my weaknesses, I have my family, I have my friends. Like everybody else, I also want to live my life in freedom. Good for you. Good for you. And not everyone should have to come out. They shouldn't have to announce their sexual preferences, uh, <laughs> their private lives. But this is obviously a very delicate situation where players that are gay have to know that they're not alone. So that's a very tough decision. I, I hope it becomes an easier decision. But again, no one has to tell you their private life. But uh, I'm glad Jakob Janko did that. Again, so much going on in the sport. That's why we're here. The Soccer OG podcast. Rate, review, download, subscribe. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube. Coming up, it is the business end. I will be joined by Felipe Cardenas. We are talking Copa America in 2024. We're also talking about World Cup in 2030. And do we galvanize the Americas as it applies to this sport. We're back here. Time now for the business end and always thrilled to welcome back to the pod Felipe Carnas of The Athletic who had a, a very interesting article. It's this almost domino effect of major tournaments that will affect us here in the United States and in all of the Americas and maybe there's a partnership there. And that's kind of where I want to get to, Felipe. Yeah. We know about this 2024 Copa America here in the United States. Uh, we'll get into the reasons that you uh, documented in your article, but maybe by the end of this, we can ask, is this a relationship we will see beyond 2024, beyond 2030, when South America is hoping to host a World Cup? 
I think it will be a long-term relationship. They call it una alianza, you know, the strategic alliance, the the, the corporate wording, if you will, when, when, when two federations get together in, in, in a business type of relationship. That's what this is. And I, you know, when, when news broke, it was a Friday news breaks that uh, the U.S., Mexico, CONCACAF in general, back in Copa America for 2024, uh, it was big news for us in North America. Like everyone was like, yes, like, okay, you immediately remember the centenario in 2016. It was for for all intents and purposes, a successful tournament. There were good games, but I was just like, okay, I, what does this mean for South America? And I was really intrigued to find out what was being said in South America uh, beyond my group chat, my Colombian group chat, which this was, was for, like, when that, this was from, yeah. from back in 2016. No, this is 20, okay. 2024. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. In 2016, I think people were, it was sort of a novelty, you know, but I think in South America, when, when, when CONCACAF and Comable get together, it's not always well-received from a sporting perspective. And so I was really intrigued to see if that has been, if that's still the case, I was not surprised to learn that. Yes, it's still the case. Like if you talk to friends that are in South America and if you read columns from the reporters and columnists in South America, uh, they, they see this as just a business opportunity for these federations and from a sporting perspective uh you know the CONCACAF teams don't necessarily aside from us and mexico elevate the 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 footballing part of the tournament if you go back to history of these two confederations getting together uh i think it began in 1993 uh you know sometimes the CONCACAF teams have a good run the us had a semifinal run in, in that tournament in 93 and i think in 95 as well uh, 2016 but for the most part south americans are very like territorial they're like this is our tournament like we don't need and they, they've never liked inviting other countries and other federations so i think this is just more of the same but to your point yeah i think this is definitely a long-term thing because when i look at it and i and i, I can understand uh, first of all you know concacaf inherits this incredible history the copa america the oldest international tournament by a significant amount over the world cup and the euros and you can benefit if you are USA and Mexico mm-hmm. from that history. There's so much to benefit. But I also think South America, and we talk about the the financial situation and how money is moving this sport uh, at the club level, at the international level, how Comebol can benefit from at, at least USA and Mexico. Because you, you mentioned they always invite teams because they only have 10 members. And that kind of, right. you need you can't have a 10-team tournament. It's, it's going to be a mess. So they make it to 12. 16 makes a lot more sense. And in order to do that, CONCACAF makes the most sense. Uh, But it's, I think about with regards to how they can both benefit. And I look at the Euros and the Euros almost, the European champions, it felt like a World Cup when Italy played England and how that region is pulling away. Uh, Mm -hmm. Record number of viewership. It was was a perfect competition to engage the audience, especially with a Wembley final with England in it. And uh, I think the rest of the confederations have to kind of find partnerships or they get left behind. As I already feel that. And is this the best partnership? Perhaps not. But when I I look at South America, you have Argentina, Brazil, then Uruguay is there a little bit further back. Colombia is like the the sleeping giant. It should be there, but it's not quite... Uh, and then after, then there's a bit of a drop off to the rest of the members, and a bigger drop off when you get to the back end. So, I mean, Concacaf can't compete with that, but I think USA and Mexico is a, a big enough prize. But you don't, 
just based on your conversations, that's going to be that's going to take a lot to overcome, I presume, from the South American perspective, that they would be okay with that. I think so. But also, this is now the second consecutive Copa America where a host country in South America has had to give up hosting duties. And that's a big part of the story that I wrote where this while while the, the partnership and bringing Copa America back to the U.S., it's going to highlight the economic strength and the stadiums and the infrastructure of the United States and how they're always going to be an attractive host country for any international tournament. It also underscored the, the dire straits that a lot of these South American countries are in politically, economically. There are there are literally coups happening in South America. And there were just like in 2020 when Colombia and Argentina were set to co-host, which would have been historic the pandemic, and then a year later, uh, political up uprisings, violent protests in Colombia, shut that idea down and it moved to Brazil uh, behind closed doors. So, you know, that that is a, a, a hard truth and a difficult reality for South America to have to essentially say, well, if we want this tournament to continue uh, and to stay on the same calendar as the Euros as well, and to sort of be matching up with, with that event, uh, we're going to have to look for partners. And in this case, it was CONCACAF. But the bigger picture here for Comable, obviously, is they're, they're a year away, just one year away from deciding who's going to host the 2030 World Cup, which is the 100-year anniversary of the World Cup, which was held for the very first time in 1930 in Uruguay. Uruguay wins it. And Comable, this is this is it. This is their legacy. They need to, 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 to be the host of this 100th uh, anniversary World Cup. And what better way to do that than to start securing your votes from one of the most numerous uh, confederations as, as far as ballot goes as CONCACAF. CONCACAF has, I believe, 41 federations uh, that can vote. So that's going to be huge considering the competition that they have with other uh, coalitions, we can call them. And the big one being Saudi Arabia, Greece, and Egypt. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, thinking that they have a chance to sort of take this one from South America. So that is, I think, a bigger picture part of that relationship between CONCACAF and Comable. At some point, there's going to be a World Cup again in South America, whether it's 2030. It's just the cyclical nature of it. Right. Uh, but 2030 is obviously very valuable. The centenary um, of 100 years of the World Cup, that makes sense, but it doesn't quite mean they'll get it Uh and, and they needed and, four countries, Max. They need four. I mean, in order know, to do this, it's Argentina, Chile. Yeah, it's like it's Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, and Paraguay. And up until the day they they officially made their announcement, Comable, a fifth country, Bolivia, was still being talked about. And it's like, what are we doing here? You know, like there are, you know, South America isn't that uh, off the charts here, like in terms of like hosting, like Brazil and Argentina, Colombia can host. Colombia's hosting, just hosted the U20 men's champion, South American championships to, to, to great reviews. The stadiums weren't full, but they were, there was great attendance in terms of like when Colombia plays, the big countries played. Brazil has proven to, 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 that they can host these tours of tournaments. But you mentioned the cyclical nature. I've seen people, other columnists saying, how can you give the United States and North America a 2026 World Cup and then keep it in the same hemisphere four years later, that that could be something that Comable will have to wrestle with. And there's that, the, yeah, I, I, Spain, Portugal, Liberian Peninsula bid, and Ukraine, Ukraine which obviously right. the Ukraine inclusion is going to be interesting. The the ramifications of that, well. Morocco, yeah. So everyone, everyone's <laughs> getting uh, some strange bedfellows. But it's <laughs> the South America thing, and I'll, 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 
just commuting in that in that part of the world yeah. is very difficult. And I remember I was covering the Copa Libertadores last year and it was Flamengo and Atletico Paranense and they had to get to Guayaquil. There wasn't enough flights. Uh, the flights they were had were really expensive. You know, people were paying a thousand fifteen hundred dollars. And obviously that's a lot of money here, more mm -hmm. so in South America. And, you know, it was just getting to air travel is tricky. And now if you're going to expand it to four countries, I would like to see it Argentina, Uruguay. I don't know if they have the infrastructure. They have the stadiums, but they'll need a lot of work. There are a lot of dilapidated yeah. venues and maybe you get a little bit from uh, maybe get one or two in uh, Montevideo and then the rest in. But I, I, I understand when it's going bigger, but the logistics is going to be very difficult. And I, I got to say, you know, after the success of the Qatari World Cup for Saudi Arabia to kind of come in here and right, they, you you knock off the possibility of back-to-back -back American World Cups. But that's a, you know, you, you said you're getting the African countries involved, you're getting Europe involved, you're getting that whole Mediterranean involved as well. I'd be really worried about that. And yeah. knowing the history of FIFA, uh, if they're going to look for something and Saudi Arabia makes these guarantees, I would, I would be, I would not be surprised to hear uh johnny infantino pull that name out and says saudi arabia and here we go again well they've been shocked before i mean qatar yeah. won the world cup bid and and they it was a huge upset over the united states i mean even england at that time for that they were you know really pushing for the for those world cup those two countries for 2018 and 2022 uh so yeah so two things one should Como be worried i agree with you yes because of the the financial power that are the Gulf states. And you've said it yourself, like the Qatari World Cup, you can uh, look back on it and say, well, we did it. You know, the the the, the Middle East now can, can say they've hosted a World Cup. It was probably one of the most memorable World Cups from a sporting perspective and for many other reasons uh, whether outside of the controversy. But that's the point here. And, you know, Alejandro Dominguez, who's the Comobo president, it's in the story I wrote. I was watching the press conference when they announced their bid officially. He's like, I'm not worried. He literally said that. I'm not worried about this bid because we have a plan. We, we're committed. Uh, and he said, and I quote, FIFA is obligated to give us this World Cup in mm. order to honor the people that came before us in Comobo and hosted this this World Cup, this tournament 100 years ago. So I agree. And, and Politico had a really interesting report last week where uh, they reported that Saudi Arabia essentially promised the Greek government and the Greek committee to say, we will build your stadiums if you come join us and we make this bid more powerful than any of the other bids. So that's going to be really difficult to for Comobo to just think that this is a no-brainer. Pulling the heartstrings on um, the historical side of the right. sport. It, it would work a lot. And I, I would love I, it, it makes sense. And this World Cup has been made so much better by the participation of South America, the most even the going to 2022, the, the nations and uh, the World Cup in 1950, these uh, the World Cup in uh, again in 2014. I'm, I'm getting my dates all wrong, too. So uh, it's there. <laughs> um, but now there's this this situation where. You're relinquishing the 2024 Copa America. How does that open the door to strengthen the 2030 World Cup bid? Is it just a case of kind of clearing the palette and focusing on that one task at hand? So that's an interesting question. I think two, two, it's twofold. One, and it goes back to your original question, like what is the relationship, like what is it doing for these confederations? I think by 20, well, 
they're going to argue this is this vote's happening in a year. So it's kind of, that's That's why the timeline, it seems rushed, but they will be the two confederations, CONCACAF and COMOBA will be able to say like, Hey, we're, 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 we're strengthening football in this region. Cause there's, this comes with club tournament uh, associations and, and, and coalitions now uh, Copa, you know, Copa Libertadores getting Mexican teams back in that getting MLS teams, the, the opportunity to play against perhaps a Sudamericana champion or a Copa Libertadores champion and opening up the Americas to to what uh, I think a lot of fans uh, are romantic about and seeing like a more uh, together region. Uh, but and, and then there's what the government officials are saying from Chile, Paraguay and Argentina. And you you referenced this. I was watching the press conference and there were government officials saying we have to use this opportunity to strengthen the, our transportation system. Uh, allowing fans from all over the world to travel within our countries. And it can't be, hey, we're going to do it for because we're hosting a World Cup and then it all comes crashing down. Like there's, they look at this as sort of a generational decision that's going to improve the economy and the way that all these different countries in South America that have a lot of rivalries outside of the sport, like politically, there are a lot of rivals here that they're trying to, that was the main message. Like we need to come together in order for this uh, region to host the tournament. So just so much work to do, honestly. And if you look, you mentioned it before, you know, these other countries are are, are well, are a little bit more established in Europe. And even now with, with Greece and, and Egypt getting the help from the Saudis, like they're going to feel like they have a benefit there as well, an advantage. That'd be nice in your back pocket to have uh, the, the the Saudi push. There's no, there's no doubt about it. But this is obviously a different bid than Qatar. Qatar was it is. single- Single country, and I would imagine the days of single country. I don't think we'll ever see that again. I don't know. I don't know how we could see that again, Max. Like I was there, and I was like, I can't imagine unless it comes back to this region, and and they can do it. But it was it was hard for me to fathom a World Cup because again, we're we're going to forty eight teams too. So twenty twenty six already has forty eight teams, and twenty thirty if it's in South America, South America is going to say, hey, we're getting six and a half uh direct entries like six go through the, the and then there's a playoff like that could be that they see that as this is our opportunity also to to own the tournament they feel strong about argentina and brazil obviously being contenders in 2026 and they're going to feel like you remember brazil max like the the you know colombia and all these south american teams were like every game was a home game for them um but yeah it's i think the 48 team field is what is pushing these multi-country coalitions because it's difficult for a lot of these countries to just say, hey, yeah, bring bring the world, we'll host you. Which is great because one of the, the things that were mentioned after Qatar was how great it was to have it centralized in that way where the players didn't have to go to the airport. They just go, I mean, I'm, they must have been the happiest yes. of everyone. And then the media that has to do it. So uh, there's a lot of appeal about everyone who covered it and everyone who participated that they would love to see that again. I and was maybe, there. I was yeah. there. And it felt like the people that that I met or my colleagues that have covered Olympic Games said it felt a lot like the Olympic Games where you're in one city. You know, the there's there's the International Broadcast Center where the big press conferences take place. You just go there and you can you could have I could have in one day seen press conferences from like seven teams and just watched coaches and players talk. Uh, and, and to your point, yeah, as, as a journalist from the West, like they were rolling out the red carpet, the transportation was was seamless uh, a lot of the time. So uh, it, it's definitely something to look back on and say, well, if, if, if can it be done, perhaps, but I still think 
it'll be hard to pull that one off because of the feet. The, it's 48 teams now. And yeah. There aren't a lot of countries like Qatar that can do that. I would love to see it like a place like England where, you know, you have the stadiums where they yeah. could probably do that, but that would be bedlam. Uh, but perhaps and there'd still be some travel. But I mean, they have I w- I'd, I'd hate to think that we wouldn't see a single nation host again. But look, the it, you know, the, it's already too late. It's it's moving. We have 2026, 2030 is going to be this. And then you get into a new trend. And there you have it. Uh, the, the we talked about the South American side of it. And now the the U.S. side and how they benefit. And obviously it's pretty clear, but 2024, they're going to already be in the World Cup, their own World Cup. The big question is, in addition to getting a sporting director, a coach, and a general manager, (laughs) the big question is, how do you get prepared for it game-wise? And this is fantastic in that sense, because I'm just looking at the Centenario, and the United States got to play Colombia and Paraguay and Costa Rica in a group. So three teams that um, played Colombia oh, twice because they, they played Colombia, yeah, in the third place game again. Correct. Well, and then they got a shot at Argentina in the semis and Lionel. Yeah. So I mean, you look at that. There's three, four significant games for this. Uh, they played Ecuador. They they beat them in the quarterfinals. I mean, and Ecuador is a, is a, a World Cup team now. Yeah. So you could see that in a month how valuable that would be. Not to mention, what what do you think we will see from a 20? I mean, there's this World Cup euphoria coming up. And now you have this tournament, which really is a year and a few months away, that you could have almost that dress rehearsal. So you get the team. It's a it's a win-win. I mean, how big of a, a coup is that for? That's not the right, right choice of words. What a, what a great achievement was it for uh, the United States to, to be able to nab that in this very critical time frame? Yeah, it, it was huge because uh, you're, you've, you've, you've set it up. They don't have to qualify for the World Cup. They do have to qualify for Copa America, but it's you would expect. Can you to imagine? You you expect U.S., Mexico, and Canada to get through Nations League, you know, to get past that hurdle. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think in North America that you said it like they see this as okay. We're going to go up, uh, up against the best teams in South America, and even if you get a Peru or Paraguay, like you're going to get a tough game. Like you're you're going to play against players that are really technical, a different style of, of football, different culture, if you will, in in a tournament that the South Americans believe is theirs. And so, yes, you're not playing in a hostile environment if you're the U.S. or Mexico, but you're still playing against these teams that have a lot to prove that don't want to lose to you. And that was the message coming out of the Mexican, the Mexican Federation president John De Luisa gave his press conference a few uh, about a week ago as well, and and made this announcement that we're back in Copa America. Like for him, it was like we need to, we needed this. Like we've been asking for it. Mexico needs this, and Concacaf needs this. And in, in, in the run up to 2026, uh, it, they see it as very as a competitive advantage for them. Because they don't have to qualify, I think in South America is much different. They 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 don't know what they're getting, but I see it from if I'm a fan, it's a huge opportunity not just for for North America, but you're going to see. You mentioned Colombia as, as being like a sleeping giant, a, a team that should be in the, within the top four at all times. We're going to see a team like a generational change. I think that's always really interesting to see, like younger players, uh, a country that needs to 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 get back to where they were before they missed the world cup in 2022. So 2024, and it's been talked about in South America, especially in Colombia, they have a new coach and they look at 2024 and that Copa America as a huge measuring stick. So I, I think this from a soccer perspective, 
you're 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 going to get a lot of interesting storylines. And and Argentina, what does Argentina look like? The defending World Cup champion. Uh, will Messi play? Is you know Messi said he wants to defend that the 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 wear the three the, the shirt with the three stars and continue to play after he won that World Cup. You know what does what does Argentina look like? What does Brazil look like? And what you don't want, Max, and this is what's happened before when these two confederations have come together, is the big country saying, ah, you know we're going to send our U twenty threes. Uh, and you know, the, in 2016, Neymar didn't play for Brazil because he chose to play in the Olympics that were being hosted in Brazil, and he had never won that that a uh, gold medal. And then Brazil were out in the group stage, and Dunga was fired. Uh, if you remember 2001, I, I brought this up uh, on another talking to my colleagues. 2001, it was hosted in Colombia, and at the time, there was the the the, the guerrilla war between FARC and the government. It was just not a good time in Colombia. And Argentina didn't even go. They, Marcelo Bielsa and Argentina were like, we're not going. We, we don't feel safe. And so Honduras showed up and Jamaica. And it was just like this asterisk style of tournament that Colombia wins it in the final against Mexico. But nobody wants to see that again. They want the best teams, the best players. And I think the stage of the United States should set that up where there should be some sort of commitment here between the two confeds. Like, hey, if we're going to do this, you know, everyone needs to come with their A players, their A listers. Yeah, just so many more hurdles to clear. And there are concerns, obviously. You mentioned that South America views this tournament as their own and that coming to the United States is always going to be a hindrance. Yeah. You there is we talked about the political unrest, and you hope things get better in because it's been really bad. You hope things get it's, better in Colombia and yeah. in Ecuador and in Peru and the countries you mentioned, and Argentina who's uh, perennially in uh, financial woe. And, they are. Uh, so it's, I, I, it hopefully gets a little better. But, you know, one of the guys you talked to or you referenced in your article, uh, Ezequiel Fernandez, and he says there's concern about coming to South America because of this unrest. You may see it. And he yeah. flipped it. He goes, well, if we go to the United States, we talk about this gun violence. How is yeah. that going to affect us? We see what's happening there. Uh, and that obviously is going to be a concern. But what are these... How do you? How would you see the biggest, uh, I guess, red flags from a South American perspective, uh, in addition to those two, that they would uh, would want to be addressed or they would think that would be an issue uh, heading before the twenty twenty four Copa? It's it's security. You said it. Even and I think that was that that columnist from La Nación, which is the biggest paper in Argentina. Uh, it, there was a bit of pride there you know taking the 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 copa america 2024 having to hear ecuador say we can't host it we can't host it we wanted it we can't host it there we you know that's not a good time in the country they need to focus on education and, and and their own security concerns you know that that hurts in south america no one wants to see that and i think this columnist was saying he was sort to your point he was flipping it and saying yes the united states has everything they have everything to host this type of tournament all the teams in the world but let's not pretend like you're you're going to go there and you can guarantee everyone is going to be safe, because they don't like in South America to just point the finger at at the countries and say it's it's not safe. You can't go there. Uh, and I think even in 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 2024 and in the the richest country in the world like the U.S. and all these great stadiums, security will still be the number one concern for every visiting country, every visiting federation. They're coming with some mega stars, mega stars, if, if it goes right. And, you know, when I talk to people, city officials, government officials in Atlanta about being a host city in 2026, 
the number one thing that they talk about is security because that's what the cities have to get prepared for. That's both in the worst case and the best case scenario. There are a ton of international visitors are coming. And 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 you know it just in every any any city in the US, you can be a victim of petty crime. And and the gun violence is something that is so um almost difficult to understand in a lot of these countries in, in South America. Yes, they have their own issues, but they that was what the columnist is saying. He's like, we're also this is also going to be hosted in a violent country. So let's let's keep you know keep that in mind. So yeah, I would just go back to security. It's something that is going to be this is a test run. Remember, 2024, the Copa America is like a dry rehearsal, dress rehearsal for the 2026 World Cup. So all eyes will be on the organization, the security, our fans safe, our players safe. Uh, what is the you know the 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 fan the fans jumping on the field and trying to get a a selfie with Messi oh like you you can't do that at a World Cup like you've got to have that straightened out so I think in South America they're going to be really looking at the U.S. like okay you guys talk the the big game like let's see if you can do this without a hitch can't really defend the the gun violence issue it's 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 a huge dilemma and if people are uncomfortable that and they bring that up you got to sit there and just bite your lip because it's a reality we deal with this in this country and there's i don't think you push that back too much um as i I mentioned at the beginning about having future copa americas in the united states you realistically now with argentina possibly in all these countries hosting a world cup in 2030 if it does happen. Do they want to rush back in and host a Copa America? If it doesn't happen, do they want to sort of pull up their straps and say, okay, we're going to host a Copa America maybe in whatever, I don't have the dates, but 2028 or... Let's say it's 2028, yeah. Say 2028. Yeah. But yeah. it's, you know, we mentioned Ecuador. Are they going to be ready? Is Colombia, is that going to be, are they going to be wanting to do this? Because it seems like most of this, you they, they move away. No one wants it. I know you mentioned yeah. go to Brazil. Brazil is in good footing financially in comparison to its neighbors, but you can't keep going to Brazil. Could it be, right. uh, if it's not in the United States, could it be in Mexico? Or is any of that possibly yeah. in play? I imagine yeah. Mexico would love it. Yeah, up until I think recently, like just, just this past week, there were still rumors that like Estadio Azteca could get a game. I mean, right now, Copa America 2024 is all, it's going to be in the US. That's it. But there were a lot of questions like, is Mexico getting a game? Like, why wouldn't they want a game? You're, you, I mean, Max, I mean, I don't think I had thought about that in such detail for Mexico to come in and say, can we host a Copa America? Uh, that would be highly controversial in South America as well. Probably more <laughs> controversial than the U.S. hosting. Let me be honest. And it has its own safety issues. Yes. <laughs> yes. Than all the others. What but kind of I, world do we live in, Felipe? <laughs> I mean, I look can't at play games anywhere. No, it's, I mean, that's the reality, but like, I think in 2028, and this is what I would expect this relationship to look like is that yes, 2024 is the world cup. You, you set up your, your bid for the 2030 for the 2030 world cup with, with Comable getting the support and the backing from CONCACAF, which is huge in the vote. And then in 2028, you should be going back to South America, but you want this this 16 new, teams you want the 16 teams yeah you want to take mexico yeah. you want to take canada you want to take the united states and play in south america that is i think that's the dream even for fans too oh yeah uh, and oh, you yeah. know you're in the industry like we want to see 
the what does the U.S. look like when they're in these environments? Can yeah, hostile territory, these, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's the future of like the next one after 2024. But you now you mentioned Mexico, and I'm like, <laughs> oh man, I, I just can't imagine that. they want that. Yeah, it would, it, like again, it would be, what a, what an event that would be. And as you said, yeah. for the United States to go say the game tournament was in Argentina, and you're playing Argentina there, and you're playing South American teams much like they did in the in, in their the first time they went to the Copa America yeah. that is how we can see how this program is progressing because mm-hmm. one of the big criticisms of US soccer is all their games are at home gold cup now this Copa America it's all great and that's the same criticism in Mexico. They're like, yeah. we can't keep playing in the U.S. because they come to the U.S. and they sell out their their games. Mexico does, and so they want to move on from that too. So, ah, uh, what a, that's going to be really interesting after this, like where the tournament goes after twenty twenty four. I do want to mention because we mentioned uh, Messi, and it seems like after winning a World Cup and feeling great about the sport, he maybe could still plays at a very high level could still be in touch with playing in another World Cup. Now there are, of course, these discussions that he might come to Major League Soccer, perhaps sooner than later. Yeah. Uh, we'll find out more details. But, you know, if Messi comes here and says he lands at Inter-Miami, now you have him here, <laughs> and you could have a guy who could be become that World Cup ambassador to 2026, but be here in 2024. He, he could become one of America's own. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, and and why not? Like, right now, the the big controversy is that he's like a, a, an ambassador for Saudi Arabia tourism. Like, he's part of the campaign. He is the the face for, of the of the campaign for their World Cup. It like, for, he's tourism, a, for tourism, for tourism. But, it's but I mean, again, loosely connected. Yes, it's totally connected, and it's it's a it's it's there's it's a very controversial thing where twenty thirty that bid for South America can't rely on Messi because he's associated with a rival bid. It's just it's 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 ludicrous. But if yeah, I think if Messi comes to the United States in 2024, which is the expectation or like the time frame, uh, immediately he become like the he becomes the really the face of the region heading into the World Cup that they host. Um, and then the question is, is he going to play in that World Cup? Uh, I don't know, Max. I mean, I think winning the World Cup changed Lionel Messi. It really did. Like. I don't know, like I'm thinking about this because I want to write about it. I want to report about it, but I feel like it's up. It's more up in the air than it ever was. The fact that he won it, because what else does this guy have to do? I mean, he doesn't have to conquer the United States because he just conquered the world, which we didn't think he would be able to do. Uh, Does he still want to do that? Or or does suddenly he say, you know what, now I'm just going to play you know, one more year. He t- he said in an interview last last week, my my home is Barcelona, like that's where I'm going when I retire. So it's just it's so many things are up in the air with that bid with the tour. I'm sorry, with 2026 and having is Messi going to be involved? And it's just fascinating to watch the the back and forth. It'd be a great resource uh, if if we could get him uh, on uh, that World Cup cycle here for the United States. But like, not like he needs anything else on his plate. The guy has been remarkable. He doesn't. He doesn't. Listen, he he's smells a, he's really amazing. Good. He smells really good. Let me tell you this, Max. When I was at the in the mix zone, and did in you Qatar, say he smells really he good? Smells really good. Listen, like I was in a mix in in several mix zones in in Qatar, and the mix zone. By is the way, just like, I, sorry to interrupt, but I saw you. I followed your reports from there. They were excellent, oh, and thanks. you were like outside. I'm outside the arch. Lionel Scaloni's about to address it. Fantastic. I was trying That's to. I was like, if I'm here, if I'm here, I'm going to go all in. And so. Brilliant. 
uh, the mix zone is just like it's a circus, right? Players are coming. You have to battle all their reporters to get to get close to the to the athletes that are talking. And every time Argentina played, there was uh, there was that question, like the, the the whispering, "Is Messi coming? Is Messi coming?" And he came every single time, even though he was the man of the match and he didn't have to come down to the mix zone. He would come down. And I remember one time I sort of made friends with a FIFA official. I'm like, all right, where where is he going to stop? And that's the key. You've got to talk to the FIFA officials. And he's like, he's stopping right here. And so I was like, all right. So I just like set up camp. I, you know, you, you don't let anyone budge you out, move you out of the way because that's what they do. Like, Other, just so visually, you, you had your elbows out. Yes, like <laughs> you will get pushed creating. out of the way. And as soon as Messi came, it was just like in, in, in incredible chaos. But I was so close to him that I could smell his cologne. And I was like, and I could, I was just looking at him. And I could see the wrinkles on the side of his eyes. I'm like, this guy is like, just looks like a normal guy, like a normal dude. And this is like, the second coming of Jesus right here. Like this is the the God of sport right in front of us, just chilling. And I was like, imagine if he comes to the U S like, what is that going to look like in every city that he visits? So, well, you know, it, it, it's, you know, Apple TV and MLS are, and I don't know anything about any of this, but you know, if there's a chance to bring him here and you sweeten the pot with all your resources, Oh my gosh, you find there's a way to be a, me- a messy rule. Just like there was the Beckham rule that became yeah. the DP rule. I think he'll change the way the league is structured if, if they manage to get that done. Yeah, so I think we'll give him a big piece of uh, the club, which makes Something. sense. Something, yeah. You've got to make it worth his while because he is Lionel <laughs> Messi. By the way, was he more like a sandalwood cologne or was it a little spicy? It was more like fresh, like maybe oh, like good. Chanel blue, you know, like. Great that's, choice. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of my go-tos. And that, that was the vibe I was getting, you know, fresh shower, splash that on, smelling good. I'm a Yves Saint Laurent parfum. We're very light, hey. which is kind of a clean, yeah, yeah, but not too many sweet, spicy stuff. But exactly, agree, agree. That's the good know. stuff right there. No one notices it's on me, but it just makes me smell clean. Yeah, maybe I didn't bathe for a couple of days and just go cha cha. I do bathe <laughs> regularly. I do bathe. That was just uh, hypothetical. Uh, but uh, hey, Felipe, fantastic man. It's a gr- always great to chat with you. And this is a My pleasure. This is a topic that's so intriguing because it feels like. Uh, it could be the beginning of a kind of a new world order, which yep. you will, which is great for the viewers because we'll see better games. And especially here in North America, our national teams, USA, Canada, Mexico, Honduras, Costa Rica, uh, it, getting to uh, play against better competition. So we'll, we'll keep tabs of it and yep. uh, we'll hope to talk very soon here. I know we'll get... Well, there's no uh, there's no break in your your no. your calendar, Felipe. It's about and it's about to get real. It's about it to sure get real, is. Max. It so sure is. I'll be seeing I'll, you. I'll see you out and about, Felipe Cardenas of the Athletic. Check him out on all his social media handles. We'll be back here with stoppage time momentarily. Can't believe it, you know. When we wrapped up the. Champions League group stages. We were looking towards the World Cup. So much ahead of us that the Champions League kind of fell off the radar a bit. But here we are, middle of February. It's back. And it is really compelling for a lot of reasons. Right now, uh, depending on who you ask, the favorites could be, uh, according to the sports books, Manchester City. I saw 538 has Bayern Munich as the favorite. And I don't know. I just, it's, you know, you always fall in the trap and go, just pick Manchester City. But, I mean, you know, at some point, you have to say, okay, maybe they're not going to win one. And they got a little, feels like they're getting a little further away. And they're having a rough 
by their high standards in the Premier League. But maybe, you know, it, it feels like that's a club that may have to shift that old guard of, I mean, obviously they've added um, some very important pieces there, including Erling Holland, who is tearing up the Premier League goal scoring wise and certainly will continue that in the Champions League. But Mares and De Bruyne and Gundogan and all that group of players that uh, been there for a while. So maybe look for something new and exciting. Let's quickly look into it. And by the way, it's still staggered, right? They stagger the tournament, and which is good for the viewers. So we don't get that effect of, you know, eight games in a day. But we we do get to see, we, it just gets spread out. You know, we have a long way to go still. But uh, Tuesday, recording this on a Monday, you have PSG and Bayern, two of the teams that are probably on that top line to win it. Uh, Milan, Tottenham, uh, that's a coin flip in many ways, even though Milan have been pretty miserable lately. Club Bruges, or Brugge, and Benfica. And remember, Benfica had, had a, an offer they couldn't refuse for Enzo Fernandez, and kind of sabotaging their chances of going deep in this competition. I think they get by Club Brugge, and is it Scott Parker in charge there? Club Bruges, um... I think they get by there without Enzo Fernandez, but how they're not going to go much further than that. And then the other game to wrap up that first group is Dortmund and Chelsea, who have Enzo Fernandez, who have Mudrik, who have uh, João Felix, who looks really good. Uh, it's a new Chelsea team, and they're probably not going to qualify for the Champions League through the Premier League, so their best bet of qualifying for the Champions League is to win the whole thing. It's only one thing left to do. Next week, we'll have Liverpool, Real Madrid. That's fantastic. Eintracht, Frankfurt, Napoli, Leipzig, Man City, and Inter Porto. Then we'll get to the second legs. But everything's interesting. Uh, let's start with the game tomorrow. I, I, Napoli, I know everyone's feeling they could win it, and no one's playing any better, and they have depth, and they check every box with the team that uh, looks like a Champions League winner. It would be weird for a Serie A team to win this, let alone reach a final. Because uh, the Serie A's, you know, with the Juventus news, and I mean, they have both Milan teams floating around, so they have they certainly have a, a plenty of participation there in the round of 16. So, I mean, I, Napoli's in that top line. It's Man City, Bayern, Napoli, PSG, uh, Real Madrid. So as we, PSG is interesting because, you know, Mbappe and Messi haven't been playing. We're being told that they will play. But I really get the feeling, and we thought this could happen, that, you know, you had Argentina, France, World Cup final. Those players kind of, you know, emptied the chamber. Lionel Messi had a little break. He scored a couple goals, but PSG are dropping points. The supporters are getting very uncomfortable and restless. Uh, Kim Bempe and uh, there was a he had a megaphone. He's talking to the supporters who are angry after they lost to Monaco. Uh, I mean, Bayern's favorite to win it, I, and what does that mean? You know, Lionel Messi in the big picture thing. We talked about him a little bit with Felipe. Where does Lionel Messi take his future if PSG get bounced out again and they're not as dominant? I mean, they're they're going to be pushed in Liga. But you can't go out in the round of 16. We, we talks about him extending that PSG deal or maybe coming back to Barcelona, which I, I know he's 
You know, I know he want he wants to end up in Barcelona, but that just seems like an odd thing for him to come back when they have a nice revival going. Barcelona's playing well. Barcelona's playing Manchester United in the Europa League. How about that matchup? That this could speed up his process to perhaps coming to Major League Soccer. Uh, I think there is a a real possibility. I mean, what? it's time. And as Felipe was saying, he's done it all. I mean, maybe we don't have Messi around. Maybe he's like, I'm good. I've done it all. He has. Chelsea, they haven't gelled. They've still struggled, right? That should be tough against Dortmund. Um, Chelsea, uh, 1-1 with West Ham. We had that, I mean, it was a really rough day for VAR in the Premier League. And I'm a West Ham guy, and I cannot believe they didn't call handball on Thomas Suchek. That was clear as day. And they didn't even give it a look. It's stunning. Stunning. So Chelsea should have won that game. Then they scoreless tie with Fulham, scoreless tie with Liverpool. That's like the three games. Uh, The last two and the Liverpool game was right before all the changes happened right ahead of the transfer deadline. But uh, I like... I, I I like Chelsea's chances of figuring it out. Obviously, Felix and Mudrik. Uh, Badia Shield, it looks like a really nice addition as a young center back. And Enzo Fernandez is fantastic. He's one of the best, even at his young age, at his position. So maybe while he's not worth $130 million, he's still a very valuable asset, and Chelsea have him. So Chelsea's very intriguing to me as well. What about Real Madrid? Real Madrid just winning the Club World Cup. Uh, they're off the pace in Spain. I just, it'd be hard to see them. I mean, a lot of good things had to fall into place for them a season ago. I just don't know how it'll all fall in place. They're facing Liverpool. Liverpool had a couple counterattacking goals against Everton. I know it's Everton, but I, some good signs that Jurgen Klopp might be able to figure some things out. It's, uh, I think we we, we will get a better idea once we get to the quarterfinals because we have to determine who's going to advance between PSG and Bayern and Liverpool and Real Madrid. Man City shouldn't have any problems with Leipzig. Inter probably gets by Porto. Uh, Napoli shouldn't have any problems with Eintracht. Dortmund Chelsea leaning towards Chelsea. Milan Tottenham probably go to Spurs. Although Spurs have been brutal. Horrible results against Leicester. I mean, they were just lit up. It was four goals. They could have allowed six. And then uh, probably get Benfica and then Bayern. Uh, Is there a surprise team? If you can consider Napoli because of where they did a surprise team, that would be it. But they're not. Because, you know, don't rule out Club Bruges beating Benfica. They can get to the quarterfinals, but they won't go beyond that. It's... The big story, I think, is how these Premier League teams fare. You have four of them, right? And usually they're at the end. Although, I don't know if this is the best crop. Right now, the best team in the Premier League is Arsenal. They're not in the Champions League. Newcastle, not in the Champions League. Manchester United, not in the Champions League. Just Man City. Big drop-off to Liverpool, Chelsea, and lesser degree of Tottenham Hotspur. It is the best league in the world, but those four representatives don't really wash you over with confidence that they are going to see three Premier League teams in the final four or in the final four in the final eight. They'll be hard pressed for that. 
But we're excited to see it. Lock it all in. 12 p.m. Pacific time. PSG Bayern. Let's go. And it should be a fun ride. But I think the cream does rise to the top, although we do have that outlier in Napoli, which makes this tournament very interesting. Could have been Benfica too. I think Benfica could have made a real run, but, you know, Enzo Fernandez, uh, that is obviously very difficult to overcome because he's one of the most important positions for a good Champions League campaign. The Soccer OG Podcast. Thank you for all the support. I forgot to mention this at the beginning. We have now been heard, this podcast, in 102 countries. Blown away. So thank you for spending some time with me. I promise to not take any shortcuts and provide you the very best show possible. That's all for this time. We'll be back again next week with some great guests and with some great topics. Until then, Placido Domingo. Domingo.